What's going on, guys? Welcome to another episode of the Boom Boom Performance Podcast. Today, we have an interview with my good friend, Brian Borstein. Brian is a very, very intelligent strength coach. He came from the, actually, he came from the bodybuilding realm, then into the CrossFit realm, going really deep, opening up a CrossFit gym, working with some CrossFit Games athletes, also working with NFL players, bodybuilders, bikini-style athletes, um, even John Cena, so some really big names. And then he started transitioning into what he calls the evolved training system, which is something that I really jive with and something that sees, I mean, me and him just see very, very eye-to-eye on damn near everything when it comes to strength training. Um, in fact, that's why I would call him a good friend now because we actually just met. Um, we, we were acquaintances and we knew each other just through mutual friends and, and Facebook and Instagram and things like that. Um, and then we got on the call and just fucking hit it off. So I had to start recording right away because everything we were talking about was so on point with each other and we have such a similar style of programming but the cool thing about it is that we kind of come from two different worlds he comes deep from the crossfit realm and i come deep from the strength and physique realm right how do we get body composition change and we kind of both met in this similar place where as you can imagine a balanced approach is probably best there's a lot of good things in crossfit there's a lot of good things in bodybuilding but there's equally a lot of bad things in everywhere right so you have to learn how to weed out the bad stuff put the good stuff together and kind of mold your own way of training your own system and that's what he has done that's what i have done and we got on this episode today and we just talked training the whole time and it was really really cool and you guys are going to learn a ton about how you should actually train if you want to achieve both performance and aesthetics and that is something that is very hard to do for most people but if you program training properly there's no reason why you can't look good feel good and perform good as well um, so we're going to get deep into that today and i'm super excited for you guys to listen to this episode before i get on to the show guys just a quick reminder if you want to support the show you can go to my patreon there's a link in the profile everything i do is completely free from a content perspective what you can do to support the movement and help me grow this podcast is donate whatever you feel is necessary whatever you feel is worth and it will help the podcast grow so without any further ado i give you brian borstein of evolved training systems Perfect. So let's just do, let's get right into it with starting with your story. I know very little about the actual story. I know that you were like, you're pretty big in the um, CrossFit world. And I know there's going to be a lot of people listening to this that know the name, but there's going to be some people that aren't in the CrossFit world. So why don't you kind of give us the rundown of who's Brian and how did he all get started? Yeah, totally. I actually started uh, way long before CrossFit. CrossFit was kind of the, uh, what was it about the 11 or 12 year mark of my training, probably 11 year mark. I, um, so I started CrossFit in 2009. Um, but I started training as well in high school, just like yourself, because I, uh, I guess it was twofold. I had a, uh, a slow progression into puberty, which when you're in high school is not necessarily the most optimal way to be. Right. (laughs) Um, and I remember in ninth grade, getting into a little quarrel with a friend. Uh, I guess he was a friend in like chemistry class. And uh, we ended up somehow throwing blows at each other in the middle of class. It was the uh, first and only fight I'd ever been in because he thought that calling me the Pillsbury Doughboy was going to be like a sweet move on his part. (laughs) And uh, I just didn't take to that. And, you know, I, I like hit him in the shoulder trying to be like, just like stop. And then he turned around and hit me back. And before anything really happened, the teacher broke it up. But that was kind of like the main moment where I made the decision that it was time to start doing something about um, my lack of puberty and trying to build some strength. And then uh, on top of that, I also was super into basketball. That was my sport for my entire life from when I was like seven years old. And um, I had a chance of playing varsity as a freshman, but I was too small. And, uh, so that summer after ninth grade, I started hitting the gym super hard and, uh, was able to end up making varsity the following year. So, um, training worked for me kind of in that route really well. And, uh, that was the beginning of it all in, uh, in the following year I played varsity. And then the next year I got so into training And I started reading all this stuff about how like cardio mitigates your gains and like all this stuff. So I actually took the year off of basketball, which I never thought would happen and focused exclusively on training. And, uh, 
I actually got the best gains of my life during that time. So I guess there was something to the whole, you know, two hour basketball practices, six days a week is not optimal for muscle gain. Right. So, yeah. So how long, how long have you been, I mean, so that's in high school. How old are you right now? I'm almost 36. So I started training in 1997. Damn. So you've been, you've been at it. And the reason I'm asking this is because like, if, if people haven't seen Brian, the dude's jacked, like you're, you're pretty big. <laughs> I mean, at least I, unless it's one of those things where when you meet you in person, you're not as big as you look, but you look pretty big and you're ripped. So I wanted to put that into context because how long did it take you to get to the level of like aesthetic physique, I guess you could say that you're at now. Cause you look more at, you're, you're definitely an athletic build. You're not like a physique competitor, but you're ripped, man. And I think a lot of people want these results so quick. So it's nice to hear that you've been at it since 97, 96, right? Oh yeah, for sure, man. It took a long time. Um, man, you know, in high school, I never reached it just cause the whole puberty thing, you need that testosterone flowing through your body. So, you know, I, I graduated high school at 170. I was pretty ripped. I'm 5'10". So 5'10", 170. I was pretty lean, probably like 8 9% body fat. And I looked the part. I mean, for a high schooler, like I looked like I worked out. But uh, it wasn't until college where things really kind of started to manifest. And um, man, I did the whole college thing like most people do. I drank way too much and I ate way too much crap. But uh, one thing about being young is that a lot of that crap that you eat and put into your body can somehow manifest itself into uh, the appearance of some solid muscle. And uh, <laughs> freshman year of college, I went from 170 to 200. Wow. Um, it definitely was not all muscle. Without a doubt, I gained some good fat in there too. But I think it was over the course of the next like three years of college that I was able to maintain a 200-pound body weight. And then just kind of gradually turn some of that fat into muscle every year, maybe like two or three pounds. And by the end of college, I was sitting at a pretty ripped, like 5'10", 200. That's a, dude, that's a big build for 5'10". I'm 5'10 as well. So at, at this time, what kind of training are you doing? It was mostly like bro split bodybuilding. Um, I remember, you know, Monday being chest day, Tuesday being back. <laughs> Wednesday would be legs if I decided not to skip them. Um, Thursday would be shoulders and abs. And then Friday was always arms because I'd always be hungover. So I'd just like roll into the gym at 9 or 10 a.m. hungover between classes and knock arms out and then uh, have the weekend free to go party some more. (laughs) The ultimate college training split, man. I love it. So at what point – so did you go to school for uh, training or kinesiology or anything like that? Or or was fitness as a career not even part of the plan at this point? Fitness was always, ever since high school, was what I wanted to do. Um, I was on a number of different paths as far as like the fitness path went for me because I started in athletic training, which is, as most people know, like more like caring for injuries of athletes as opposed to actually training athletes to be stronger. Um, So athletic training turned out not to be exactly my passion. Um, And then I went into about a year of recreational management, which is again, more of like the business side of running gyms and fitness facilities. And then I ended up doing a double in exercise phys and sports management. So I was able to get a little bit of the business management side along with the kind of exercise phys, more kinesiology type approach. Dope. Okay. So what was the first job? Was it at a big box gym or or when is this and where did you first start getting paid to actually train? (laughs) (laughs) Um, I had to do an internship for my major after junior year. And I ended up becoming a trainer at Bally's fitness, you know, Bally's. Yep. They closed uh, down everywhere over here now, but yeah. So it was back in DC where I'm from and it was definitely a big box style Globo gym. Um, There was a lot of uh, non hardworking people hoping to get good results in there. And uh, you know, I had a bunch of personal training clients and I just, I, I hated it man. the whole counting reps thing, the whole, letting valleys take 70% of the money that comes in and me taking a measly 30% of everything. And, uh, I quickly realized at that point that that was not what I wanted to do. Do you, do you ever feel like that was a, 
a pivotal point in your career or like there was purpose behind it though? Because I see a lot of trainers who, you know, like I got lucky. The place I interned was a made like a massive functional facility and I ended up working there for six years. So I got locked into a really good place, but I know a lot of people who want to, they look at that and they're like, Oh, I got to find one of those places. But the truth is there's not a lot of those places in here. So do you feel like sometimes it's important for people? Cause there's a lot of young trainers listening to this to actually go work at those quote unquote shitty big box gyms for a while <laughs> to get their feet. Yeah. Wet. Yeah. I mean, it gives you perspective. It gives you something for your resume. Um, it's yeah. I mean, I a hundred percent agree. It's a, it's more of a perspective thing than anything. Um, just to kind of make you realize whether that is something that you want or don't want going forward. Um, you got lucky, man. I can't believe you got in on a, on a good gig like that for six years. Cause that would have literally been my dream back then. Well, yeah, man. I mean, I, so I, I was in college and this dude came and spoke to our class and I literally just, cause I had to do an internship for school as well. And I just bugged him until he was like, yeah, dude, you can, you can do it here. And then I just, <laughs> I was just there. Like, I mean, I had a part-time job. I was going to school and then any hour I wasn't at home or doing those things, I was there. So I'm there every day, seven days a week, just training with him, picking his brain. And, and then it just obviously turned into a job. But like we said, I don't think that's very common. Um, but back to uh, your journey through this. Okay. So you're working at this big box gym. You're working at Bally's. What's next? At what point did you stop and go, okay, I know this isn't the path, but this one is. Cause I think a lot of people can go there and know that this isn't what I want to do forever, but it's hard for them to click into gear or to find that path to actually start moving in a better direction. So when did that happen for you? Yeah, totally. I actually was uh, another four years later before I actually found that path. So after graduating senior year, I applied to a bunch of different kind of local sports organizations trying to get their like training strength trainer, like, you know, low level universities and stuff like that. Um, ended up finding out basically that the majority of these jobs are offering you like $28,000 a year and there is not a whole lot of upward mobility. And I just made a decision at that moment that I needed to make more money and ended up going into first into recruiting, which turned into a promotion to account management, and then moved out to San Diego a year after that, ended up working government contracting behind a desk for another three years. And uh, it wasn't until 2009 that uh, my roommate in college, Anders Varner, he's uh, the host of Barbell Shrugged podcast. Oh, right. Yeah. So he, he, uh, he was my roommate in college and we started CrossFit PV together in early 2010. And that was really like the break, man. That was where everything kind of changed because we realized that we could actually make money doing exactly what we love. Dude, I love that. It's so huge. I'm actually, are you still in San Diego right now? Yeah, exactly. I'm sitting in a uh, Pacific beach, three blocks from the water right now at my gym. Dude, I will be in Pacific beach in less than a month. So I will uh, actually exactly a month. So I will be reaching out to you so we can hook up, but um, yeah, please do. So what, so what made the shift into CrossFit? Cause you obviously were doing bro splits. You were, I'm assuming you got into some kind of strength training first, whether that's just like five, three, one style stuff, but we were talking earlier about T nation and all that stuff. So at what point did you really hop onto CrossFit? Was it right when it launched? Cause I'm not even familiar with exactly what year that all started. Yeah. Um, so 2007, I moved out to San Diego, which is, you know, two years before I really began doing CrossFit. And uh, literally, like a week before I moved out, Anders found CrossFit, and he was like, "Dude, you got to try this Cindy workout." And I was like, "Okay, whatever. Like, what's Cindy? You know?" And it's it's a twenty minute AMRAP of five pull ups, ten push ups, and fifteen air squats. And Anders was like, "There's no way you can do eighteen rounds. Like, there's just no way." And I was like, "I'll bet you twenty bucks I can do eighteen rounds." And you know, I did the whole thing with strict pull ups and really had no idea what I was getting myself into, but I got 18 rounds <laughs> and uh, I about died to do it, but I got 18 rounds. Um, that was my first CrossFit workout ever in 2007, moved out to San Diego after that. And then literally I swear, man, every week or two, Anders would hit me up and be like, you know, CrossFit's the thing, man. You got to join a CrossFit gym, got to join a CrossFit gym. And I'm like, no, nah, I'm cool. Like I got my bro split, like I'm cool. Um, and then in early 2009, he started sending me workouts again and he sent me Fran, which is 2159 of thrusters and pull-ups. Um, he sent me grace, which is 30 clean and jerks for time at 135, 
So I did both of these workouts in the Globo gym. Um, my <laughs> clean and jerks at the time were much more like high pulls with momentum plus like a push press. And my pull-ups were all strict and those workouts just annihilated me. Like I would do one five minute workout and I was like, man, now I can't even do chest day. This sucks. <laughs> um, <laughs> so I was kind of down on the whole thing. I was like, you know, why do I just want to do cardio? Cause in my mind at that time, CrossFit was just cardio. And I put a big bias into strength. Work. Um, like a few minutes ago, you just referred to like how I was doing a bro split and you know, when did I actually get into strength training? I always, always prioritize strength training in my work. I think that that's a vital component of any sort of program, whether it's CrossFit or bodybuilding, or, you know, even if it's a purely aesthetic program, I think there needs to be some form of strength component to lead each day. So um, when I would train, even on my bro split, the first movement of every day was something that I would, that I now refer to as metric based training. So I'd have one movement every day where that would be the movement that I try to get stronger on. Um, for back day, it was always weighted pull-ups. I would go as heavy as I could for three sets of six. And then chest day, I loved dumbbell bench. So I would do a lot of dumbbell benching. Um, again, kind of like three sets of six. On leg day, I always squatted and deadlifted. I don't really think I fully started loving squatting until CrossFit. Um, but deadlifts were always something that I kind of gauged progress on. And I always did strict press overhead. And those were just kind of like my big movers. Like every week I would have to do those movements and make sure that, that I was getting stronger in some capacity. So when CrossFit came around, I just saw it as cardio. And I was like, why do I want to just do cardio? This is so stupid. So we joined a, uh, a gym in 2009 in downtown San Diego that was one of the only CrossFit gyms around at the time that offered open gym. Like 100% of the time they had open gym. So that was really the first time that I went into a CrossFit gym and I was able to do my own programming the way I wanted to do it within the structure of a CrossFit gym. And it was super cool because I would go in every day and I would do, you know, my main metric based strength movement, whatever it was for the day. And then instead of going on a treadmill and running for 20 minutes or sitting on a bike and being bored for 40 minutes, I would do CrossFit circuits and that would be my cardio. So, you know, I kind of just used CrossFit in the beginning as a way of doing cardio while still emphasizing the strength component. I love that, dude. I think if there's any smart way to program strength and aesthetics together, that really is the way to go. And that's kind of how I've done a lot of things too, is just piecing together like your heavy lift of the day, some accessory work that you need to work on. And then there's always something at the end, whether it's intervals or a short, short Metcon or an uh, AMRAP session or some kind of component to get the metabolic effect at the very end. And if you do that, you know, four days a week, you're golden. You don't need to do a ton of extra cardio. Um, what caused you to shift? Because right now I wouldn't say that you are, I don't know, I don't want to call you a CrossFit coach because I think you program very differently, but you're still in that space. So what would you consider yourself now? And then what caused that shift from purely CrossFit to, to what you're doing today? Yeah, such good questions, man. Um, I honestly call what I do now like a hybrid approach. I know it's kind of an overused term at this point, And that's why I eventually came up with the evolved training method, which is my brand, the evolved training system. Mm -hmm. Um, but it really is just like a hybrid program of strength work, bodybuilding work for aesthetics, as well as, you know, using metabolic conditioning circuits and different sort of interval stuff, the kind of the exact same way that you were talking about it. And um, that's just what I believe at this point to be the smartest approach. Um, going back to kind of what you asked, like what caused the change? It was all the years of coaching CrossFit athletes um, in 2011, I started coaching CrossFit competitors and, uh, in the beginning it was so rad. It was like, I was one of the first people doing it online. I was traveling all around the country, coaching my athletes at different regionals. So I was able to rub shoulders with a lot of the, the different coaches and athletes in the CrossFit community. And it was like the coolest thing ever. I was, I was in love with it all. And, you know, over time, CrossFit evolved like anything else. And as CrossFit evolved, so did the necessity to essentially overtrain. It's, uh, 
it's an interesting thing because I say this a lot when I'm talking to people, but CrossFit is a sport and there is technical proficiency that is required in your movement patterns. It's not just enough to be cardiovascularly fit and to be strong. You also have to be proficient and efficient and you need to save energy at all possible moments, right? So CrossFitters, people miss place i think the programming that crossfitters do they see a top athlete like rich froning or somebody that's working out four to six hours a day and they think that this dude is literally doing like six workouts or more every single day and what he's actually doing is just practicing it's like the equivalent of a basketball player going out and shooting 200 free throws a day except that when the basketball player does 200 free throws it takes almost zero impact on his central nervous system yeah when a crossfitter practices they're also doing damage to a lot of the the hormone panels within their body and not really realizing it unfortunately would you say too that and i i don't know this for sure because obviously i don't know rich and but i've heard and i've talked to you and i don't know if you know dr sean from active life but i've hung out with him Mm -hmm. a few times and i've heard him say this as well but like rich froning quote unquote practicing would you say too that he's in a controlled state so if we look at percentages he's not going 90 to 100 percent on that edt or amrap or countdown or whatever he's doing he's actually controlling the pace and just watching his breathing and probably going through the movements to to look at it more like a skill versus going balls to the wall yeah you're 100 percent right and that was exactly my next point is that there's a video of froning working out from like 2012 i think it's called in the life of rich froning or something like that and he is doing a uh 20 minute imam of three squat cleans and so this dude is doing three squat cleans imam at 185 which at the time is like you know 60 percent of his one rep max or something like that and then all these crossfitters are like oh three reps imam for 20 minutes at 185 i can do that (laughs) and then they (laughs) then they do it but they don't realize that them doing that is like 85% of their max and suddenly it's no longer form and technique work. It's actually a workout. Yeah. Well, and I think that's that's one of the big mistakes, like, and at least this is from an outside perspective, but I, I did CrossFit for like three or four months. My buddy owns a gym and I got questions asked to me all the time on the podcast. So finally I was like, I'm just going to jump in because until I do it, I won't know what to say. And, And I will like, it was fun. I had a lot of fun doing it. But a lot of times the workouts, as you know, will be prescribed a specific weight. And I think it would be so much smarter if it prescribed a specific percentage, just like typical strength training, going back to 531. 531 isn't a program that says five reps at 400 pounds, three reps at 350. It says, you know, 65% of your max, 75% of your max, 85% of your max. And now I can control it to me and individualize it to me. And I feel like if that was more well-known in CrossFit, I think it would be a lot easier for people to stay like longevity wise, keep going. Oh, without a doubt, man. And, and to kind of build on that more priority on proper movement. Um, but like in my programming for, for my gym, I follow a similar idea. Like my members don't know what their maxes are for every lift. So it would be, it would be silly for me to be able to, to try and program percentages in all the time. Mm-hmm. But what I do is I use a level system. So if we're doing a workout that say calls for like, 10 power cleans and call it 10 pull-ups or something like that uh, for multiple rounds. I'll have like a level one where the weight is like, you know, 95 pounds for guys and 65 pounds for girls or something. And then a level two where it's like 135 and 95. And then a level three where it's like 185 and 115 or something like that. So based on kind of where these athletes can be, can fit into the level system, they can more properly choose a weight that's going to represent the intended stimulus of the workout for the energy system that we're working that day. I love that. I think that's so much smarter, man. And, and even just, just adding that third level. Cause I think I've seen a lot of like, uh, and I don't even, I'm not even going to say the term, right. But if you RX something, I believe that's, you actually do prescribe, <laughs> right. And then the yeah, level, yeah, yeah. whatever else it is, but it's still only two levels, right? Yeah, well, I mean, most CrossFit workouts just have an RX. It's like either you're RX or you're not. Okay. Uh, and that's, that's kind of the biggest problem because when you look at someone who, say, has a max 
call it max power clean of 200 pounds. And then the workout RX is 175 pounds. Well, that person with a 200 pound clean is like, oh, I can do this. I should do this workout RX because it's 25 pounds below my max. I can make these reps. And then they fail to account for the fact that there are multiple reps that they have to do, that there's another movement that's going to fatigue them. Like if you're combining a power clean with pull-ups, both movements involve pulling. So to think that you're going to go do 10 pull-ups and then go back and do another 10 power cleans and that your form is still going to be as good as it was in the first set, that's crazy. Yeah. Well, one thing I will say too is I, I have to throw this out there because I don't want to sound like I'm talking shit on CrossFit because I had a lot of fun, but the community it's built is just insane. And I will give them that. And even just like, like, I think you said you didn't even really enjoy squatting until you got into CrossFit, right? Like, I think there's a lot of people out there that wouldn't even touch a barbell until CrossFit came around. No, totally. I mean, CrossFit has done a lot of good things. Like to sit here and bash CrossFit entirely would be really wrong. It's, it's definitely created some problems along the way as well. But the things that it does best, like community and getting people to train with barbells and to understand intensity, um, those things can't be replaced, man. There are more people training hard now than there ever was. Well, that was one of the biggest thing it taught me is even some of the workouts that were very, very safe. Like there's no way I could hurt myself, whether it's just, you know, burpees and rowers and thrusters and stuff at a controlled weight. It just demolished me aerobically. And I was, that was like a big... <laughs> kind of light switch went off in my head like man i am because i used to play soccer so cardio was my thing and i was mm -hmm. like i am so out of shape now because i should be able to do more than just my strength and bodybuilding shit like that's not fit to me fit is multiple modalities of training and, and energy systems and stuff like that so i definitely think it, it it turned that side of things into the fitness world um but one thing i want to talk to you about is you know, like, and you're familiar with, familiar with Jason and I and three and, and so am I. And for people like me and, and them who coach a lot of nutrition, we talk a lot about aesthetics versus performance. And I think in the training world, it can actually, you can have a little bit of both versus nutrition. You can't be in a deficit and expect to perform well, right? So what's your opinion yep. on being able to achieve both aesthetics and performance through training? And how do you make that happen? Yeah, totally. I mean, it all comes back to nutrition, like you said. I mean, the amount of CrossFit athletes specifically that have had hormone issues because of trying to eat, you know, low carb or paleo or whatever, and then also trying to train intensely, it just doesn't work. So that is one thing where, you know, nutrition is, is the building blocks of everything. And, you know, people hear it all the time, 80% of your results are going to be nutrition, et cetera, et cetera. So I think it's important to bring attention to that. But regarding your question on how in training can we accomplish both? Um, I, think, I think it's important to train in the way that you are eating for, for the amount of food that you're consuming. So, you know, like how many times have you seen someone that could literally lose body fat and gain muscle and do zero cardio? I mean, it happens all the time. Yeah. So it's a matter of the amount that you're consuming. With that said, assuming you're eating like a maintenance level diet, more or less, maybe there's some oscillations up and down. Um, but I think that kind of going back to what we said in the beginning, being able to put in the primary focus of your day into your strength work and making sure that there's some sort of metric based element in your program that you're focusing each session on, you know, increasing a rep or adding a pound or two or whatever it is, making sure that what you're doing is working. Because you can go into the gym so many times and go through the motions, lifting weights and get a good pump. But how do you know that what you're doing is actually productive or not? I'm, I'm going to go back to what you said before and tie that in. And you said metric-based training. I Or your metric movements or something like that. I'm going to steal that because I love that so much, dude. Because a lot of people just do not record their weights. They do not record their progressions. Even if it's adding a pause, adding a negative, uh, adding reps, adding sets, adding weight, a lot of people just completely miss the ball on that. Is that so with metric-based movements, is this something that you feel is like imperative to get these aesthetic results? And, and where do you track these? It's, is it only the compound lifts or do you do it with everything? Yeah, I primarily track the main, the, uh, the metric-based movements as I call them. So in any of my programs that I design, um, I always have one or two metric-based movements each day. 
Um, they're primarily the big compound movements. So think, you know, squat, deadlift, bench press, overhead press, uh, some version of bent over rowing. I love that post you put up a couple months ago about all the different variations of bent over rowing because that is like one of the best, most underutilized movements that I see out there. Um, so I always have some sort of bent over row variation as a, a metric based movement as well. And like you said, man, there are many different ways that you can track and increase your performance on these movements. It could be time under tension. It could be manipulating rep speed, uh, which again, kind of speaks to time under tension. But like, if you're going like four second negative plus explosive concentric, like a four O X one type, um, type movement, something like that. Um, I think that just being able to monitor your progress week to week on those speaks to what you're doing is working. So let me kind of break it down a little further. If I were on my program and doing my metric based movements and for a number of weeks in a row, I found that I could not increase my three rep back squat for whatever reason, then now I need to go back and I need to go to the drawing board and I need to analyze why, why is my back squat not increasing? Because I'm eating enough calories, check. I'm sleeping enough, check. Okay, what's next? Okay, what is my accessory work that I'm doing after squatting? Let me think. Okay, well, I did three sets of six on a rear foot elevated split squat, and then I did some walking lunges, and then, you know, I did some farmer's carries, and I was fucking crushed at the end. <laughs> so maybe I'm doing too much. Maybe my body, my central nervous system is being taxed too much. And now I need to go back to the drawing board there. Okay. So maybe now I'm going to take out the front rack lunges. I'm going to keep the rear foot elevated split squat and I'm going to only do one set of farmer's carry. Okay. Next week comes forward and I'm like, Oh shit, I feel so much better on my back spot. I feel great. Right. On the other side of that, what if I come back and I don't feel great, even though I decrease the volume, then I need to look back and say, what did I do the prior day? Okay. Well, the last day was back. It was a back focus. I did a bunch of bent over rowing. Maybe my hamstrings and my low back, my erector area is super taxed from the heavy bent over rowing that I did the prior day. Okay, maybe I'll put a rest day between back day and and legs or something like that. So, you know, being able to kind of go to the drawing board and pick apart your programming and then reassess and try new things, man, that's that's what makes it all so interesting. I love that, man, because I've, I've had people, and you might experience this too, is I'll program for them and they'll be like, Hey, does it matter if I put day one before or after day two instead, or like swap Monday and Thursday? And, and can I change, can I do the squat after I do all the accessory work? Cause the gym is busy. And I'm like, <laughs> no, <laughs> you need to understand Never. there's, there's right. an order of operations. So, um, with that being said, like, I mean, how often are you reassessing? Cause one thing that you were just talking about is like, I mean, you're going back and tweaking things and watching things and making sure this day isn't too close to this day. How often do you feel like people should be reassessing or, or reconsidering the way their layout is or their program is versus, cause I know there's, it's kind of a double-edged sword, right? Like for a lot of people, you need to stick to a program for three, four, five, even six weeks sometimes to actually see progress building over time. And then there's the other side that's like, people don't switch enough. They're doing the same thing over and over again, or they're program hoppers. And every week they're starting a new plan that's completely different. Where's the balance? How often do you like to switch things up? And like, how do you do that? I actually think that switching things up is like the worst possible thing you can do. Um, I'm on the far end spectrum of what you said. Like if you said six weeks on staying on the same program, I'm more like 12 to 16 weeks. Okay. <laughs> uh, I, yeah, man, I, I, I believe that you need to milk every cycle for what it's worth. Um, I believe in starting cycles at submaximal loads and building momentum. So if I'm starting a squat cycle and I currently know that my max is 400 for three, then I'm going to start my cycle at 345 for triples. I might do like a three by three at 345. And I know that I can hit one set at 400 for three. So that 345 for three by three is... I mean, you still have to think about it. You still have to brace. You still have to work hard, but it's not like I have any doubt in my mind that I'm going to make 345, right? Right. Then the next week I come back and I'm like, okay, I'm going to do 355. And then maybe the next week I'm like, I'm going to do 365. Well, now things are starting to get a little challenging. So the next week I'm going to slow this down. I'm going to go 370. Then I'm going to go 375. Then I'm going to go 380. And this whole time, I'm not only building confidence in myself mentally, 
I'm like, I'm like just understanding like, okay, I made 380. I got this. I can do 385. Okay. I made 385. I can do 390, you know? And over the course of eight or 10 weeks, I'm now doing my old three rep max for three by three. Well, now I feel really good because I'm like, shit, man, I just, I just did my three rep max for three sets of three. That's pretty cool. I wonder what my new three rep max is, right? So then at this point, I'm like, all right, I think I need to decrease a little volume because my central nervous system is getting taxed. I'm really up near like my maximal weights here. Um, now I'm going to switch to four sets of two at 385. So I'm going to drop that weight back down. I'm going to keep the same movement pattern. I'm going to drop the weight back down. I'm going to give myself a little mini deload and I'm going to work back up over 400 pounds doing doubles. So now I'm up to like 405 or 410 for sets of two and it's starting to get hard. And now I'm at like week 14 of my cycle. And then I'm like, you know, I think I'm ready to test. So I throw 425 on the bar. I hit a single. And then I throw 435 on the bar. I hit a single. And that's where I am. I'm like, okay, I hit 435 for a single. That's awesome. I made some great progress this cycle. I'm going to take a week off of the gym. I'm going to go play some sports and hike a lot and sit at the beach and read some books. And I'm going to start the whole thing all over again with a little bit different of an approach. I love that, dude. A couple questions on this. The first one would be, where does accessory and isolation work fall into that? Because something I know is that I love to, like, if I'm doing, like, right now I'm doing wave loading on one of my days, um, and I actually got this from Christian Thibodeau's program. And basically, I load the bar up, I do six reps, four reps, two reps, come back to six, add more weight, go through six, four, two again. And I'm, I stick with this actually way longer than he prescribes in his program because I like to do it the same way you do it. I actually am pretty conservative because I want to build skill and just confidence throughout the time I'm doing this. But I know that I like to switch my isolation work, my accessory work, my finishers, stuff like that way more frequently, partially because, and this kind of goes back to his neurotyping thing, I just get bored quick. Like I need stimulation from my brain and just change things up. And then, so what do you do with your isolation work? And then the second question would be, what do you do with clients that get bored? Because as you know, some people can't do the same thing for that long and actually stay consistent with it. We're speaking the same language, dude. I, uh, I change accessory work weekly for all my clients and for myself. So, you know, I have my one or two metric based movements each day. Um, and then whatever I do after those metric based movements is what I feel for that day. Um, so if my metric based movement is that, you know, back squat progression that I just went over. And then I also know that I'm going to do a rear foot elevated split squat for a heavy set of six, something like that. Some days I finish those two movements and I'm just tapped out and I'm like, yo, I got nothing left and I don't do anything else. Um, some days I feel great and I decide to throw in other bits and pieces. Like I mentioned, like some lunges, some farmer's walks, some weighted sit-ups, some weighted planks, um, some different kind of different core stuff, uh, whatever. Assuming we're just talking about kind of like a lower body focus day here. Um, some days I'll throw in some RDLs or something like that. Um, so yeah, I mean, you know, lower body stuff, like I train entirely free weights. I don't touch any machines really. So, um, so the, the options are more limited probably for me training with free weights than for someone that has access to to a variety of different machines as well. Um, but then when you look at like an upper body day, kind of the same approach, like if I'm focusing, if my movement pattern day is horizontal push pull. And I have bench press and bent over rows as my focus for that day, my two metric based movements. Then after that, I give myself freedom to do whatever I want with the, uh, with the rest of the day. So maybe it's like if I'm doing a double arm bent over row with a barbell, maybe I'm throwing in some weighted pull-ups. Maybe I'm throwing in some single arm crock rows. Um, maybe I'm doing some dumbbell incline bench or I'm doing some ring push-ups or, shit, I'll even do some dumbbell flies occasionally because they make me sore and I like it. Um, but all those things, man, you got to keep it interesting. Like I a hundred percent agree that if you just go into the gym and every single day you're like, okay, I have two movements that I do and then I'm out and I'm moving on with life. That would get boring. That would get a little monotonous. So I think that, you know, to wrap it all back to the beginning where you're like, how do you combine strength and aesthetics and get all of these results into one I think that you use those metric-based movements as ensuring that your strength is increasing week to week. And then you throw in that accessory work and those kind of more hypertrophy-based movements for higher reps. And, you know, you don't stress whether you're going to failure on them because 
it's just extra work. Like you've already done the hard work for the day. You just want to make sure you're feeling the right muscles working and you're having fun in there. I think, uh, did you're, you're going to have to listen to that episode I did with Christian Thibodeau because his, his neurological profiling, it, it's really cool. Cause he kind of picks out who variety, like frequent variety works well for who it doesn't work well for who metric based stuff works well for. And you'll literally start turning in your brain like, Oh shit, that's why this client does this. Or that's why this client likes this or responds to this really, really okay. interesting. Um, but I'm, I'm hundred percent on the same page and a little side note too, man, like my, one of my favorite things to plug in that for a client that's never done it is crock rows. I love them, dude. They're so good. It's so good. And it's such a shock to like, not, not only like to your body, but like mentally the first time people are like, Oh, okay. You just want me to row. And then I'm like, watch the video and actually do it how you're supposed to do it. Like read mm-hmm. this article. Those are brutal. Dude, getting that little like lat extension at the bottom where you almost like round out the lat and then explode back up. Yeah. Crazy. Yeah. So good. It's fun. So when I first like go like little tangent, when I went when I first started at that uh that gym that I told you about, it's called Vigor Ground. I interned there. This dude, he's uh, the owner, Luca, is from Europe and and played a lot of sports and everything he did was posterior chain. Like, I mean literally like just hamstring glutes and lats that's all he fucking trained almost every session so i came there and i was this bro who did a lot of bench and curls and like leg extensions <laughs> at the time <laughs> so he was like my name's cody mcbroom and they started calling me cody yeah. little back and it just fucking destroyed me so i did so many crock rows from age 18 till like 23 <laughs> And I had a pull-up in my room that every time I walked by the room, I had to do pull-ups, dude. So I'm, I'm huge on all that stuff. So it's just hilarious. But um, going back to what you were saying, man, it sounds very, very intuitive. And I think that's good because, I mean, first of all, it's, it's great, but people have to understand that you need to, to work up to that too, because you can actually listen to your body. You can see your fatigue level. You know what movement patterns need to be hit so you don't end up overdoing things and causing like postural issues or anything like that. How do you program in deloads from that perspective? Are deloads intuitive for you as well? Like how do you program for your clients? Totally good question. For me, they're intuitive um, because I know my body. And I like, like I was saying, when I feel like I've reached a point in any of my metric-based movements where I feel like progression is not happening with good form, um, you know, like in a, in a rowing movement, you can easily force progress by jumping your chest up or by using leg drive or however you want to do it. And I think there's definitely like a medium ground where you have to use a little bit of that to ensure that you're using enough weight to make a difference, but you don't want to use so much momentum that you're not actually doing the movement properly. Um, So anyway, you know, when I reach a point where I fail to make my metric that I need to make for the day, whether it's adding a rep or adding five pounds or whatever, if I fail that two weeks in a row, or if I go into the gym and I just feel demotivated and I don't really want to do it at all, then I deload. Um, a perfect example of that is the way that I apply it to myself is today I was supposed to go into the gym and I was supposed to squat um, a pyramid style, sets of three up to like a heavy triple and then back down with sets of three. I just didn't want to do it. Um, I put 225 on the bar and I was like, you know, this is all I want to squat today. So I did 16 sets of five at 225 and it never got hard. It never got heavy, but I got a really significant metabolic impact from it. And as a result of being smart and listening to myself and not going too heavy and crushing my central nervous system, I feel way better mentally right now. Like I think if I would have gone heavy and done that heavy triple, I would probably be sitting here feeling a bit mentally lethargic talking to you instead of, 16 sets of five, 80 reps later, I got some good volume in and I feel great. Um, so for me, that's how I do it. For my clients, it's, uh, it's a little different. You know, as, as you know, with clients, like you have to keep a, a constant line of communication with them. Uh, that's obviously important piece number one. So every week when they report to me what their metric-based movement results are, I ask them for some commentary on the way they're feeling with them. And if I hear like, oh, you know, I've been stuck at this weight for three by six for, for two weeks now, I just, the back squat just feels so heavy. And I just like, I don't know, I just don't really want to do it anymore. Then immediately I'm like, all right, we need a, at least a week deload, if not two. And, you know, deloads come in the form of decreasing volume, decreasing loading, 
um, a number of different ways. Uh, if you look at what I did today, I actually increased volume, but decreased loading. So that's one way that I really like to deload so that people still feel like they're getting a good workout in and they're still feeling accomplished when they leave the gym is, you know, okay, instead of whatever weight you're supposed to do, let's drop that 30%, 40% and let's just do more reps. I think the biggest issue is for people who come in and they had that mindset like you, like you got under the bar and you were just like, I'm just not really feeling it. But then they go into this, like, don't be a bitch mode and decide to just brute through it anyway. And then they wake up the next day and they're just burnt the hell out nervous system wise. And that can screw up. I mean, the next week of progress, it can cause cravings, can cause sleep issues, can cause uh, like mood swings, immune system crash, like so many different things. Absolutely. I love it, man. I think that's huge. So we, we broke down. I mean, you obviously have your metric based movements, the compounds, pretty intuitive based isolation work. Um, you very, very focused on progression and deloads and intuitiveness. The next thing that's on my list that I know is in, influencing your programming is some kind of Metcon or metabolic conditioning at the end. So I'm interested in what, how you factor that in because I do think like looking at your structure and looking at some of the structure that has worked really well for me that's very similar is that we focus on strength at the beginning, strength and power, focus on some hypertrophy-based accessory work, and then we finish with some kind of, it's not necessarily cardio because it's, it's kind of disguised differently, but something to quote-unquote burn fat at the end. How do you program these <laughs> yeah. things in? Yeah, um, I, I try to only hit what would be considered like the glycolytic energy pathway um, once or twice a week. I feel like that is ultimately the biggest problem with CrossFit is that you're constantly training in the glycolytic pathway. Um, so for me, I try to make sure one or tw once or twice a week, we're even training that type of intensity. And then all the other days, any sort of finisher that's included in there is going to be either like really short sprint work, like sub two minutes with a, with a long rest interval. Um, I'm huge into that, like a lactic and like anaerobic type interval work. And then things on the other side of the spectrum, like there are many days where I finish training. And even if I have some sort of Metcon thing programmed, I just opt to go for like a 45 minute walk instead. Cause I know that for my body at my age that I wouldn't respond well if I went and did more kind of like hardcore conditioning stuff. Um, so when it comes down to that sort of stuff, it's like, you know, one day I might sit on a rower for 20 minutes and go at like a casual pace. One day I go for a 45 minute walk. One day I'm doing some sort of like glycolytic circuit, like a 10 minute AMRAP of sorts. But I try not to program AMRAPs in the sense that CrossFit does where it's like, just get through it as quickly as you can and, you know, break reps as needed and, you know, pick the bar up no matter what, because it's all about accumulating reps. Um, <laughs> I try to encourage people to, to rest a little bit in between their movements because if you rest 20 seconds in between movements, you're still going to be under fatigue. You're still going to get all of the benefits of the cardiovascular impact that you're looking for for that type of time domain. You don't need to be constantly killing yourself for 10 straight minutes to get a benefit. So something like heavy dumbbell snatches mixed with push-ups and strict pull-ups has a creatine phosphate component to it where there's a significant muscular fatigue element that inevitably is going to force you to slow down. Um, kind of like, you know, the difference between if I were to just do a workout of like burpees and box jumps, it's like, there's no reason for you to really stop except that you're tired. There's not like really a muscular fatigue component involved. So, you know, once a week I'll program one of those, but the majority of the time, there's some sort of muscle fatigue component that's going to inevitably have to slow down your course of movement. I think that's huge too. And I'm sure you probably do this. But one thing I do with my – if I'm not in person with somebody, I put a lot of notes in my programs because if you put a nine-minute AMRAP, most people will assume like it's pedal to the metal the whole time and there's no control. So I, I tend to write in there like how I want them to go through the movements, how I want control to be, how I want their heart rate to be. So there is some kind of like thought process while they're doing it. Totally dude. That's such an evolved way of thinking. I do the exact same thing. Like, you know, rest as needed between movements to ensure quality sets and reps or something along those lines. Would you say too, there's, there's also like merit to, 
using different modalities in your training. I see a lot of people who like all they do for cardio at the end on their rest days, whatever it is, it's like explosive, like 10 to 20 second intervals with long rest periods, which is like the, like original high intensity model. Right. But then you look at their training and you're like, okay, well you're doing heavy, heavy squats, which takes you 10 to 20 seconds. Then you take two minutes off that your heart rate's beating just as hard doing that. And then your cardio is the same. So your body's literally getting one stimulus the whole time. Whereas you talked about like three or four different ways of doing it. I find that people get better results simply because you're not doing the same type of quote unquote cardio over and over and over again, metabolically. Yeah, totally. Your example was basically somebody that only does a lactic work, like 10 to 20 seconds of all out work with significant rest intervals to ensure recovery after that. Um, I mean, that's the optimal approach for somebody that's like a strength athlete or an explosive athlete. Right. Um, but for our general population of people that want to look good, feel good and, you know, train like an athlete, um, I think you have to mix it up. You have to give them a little bit of everything. And I'm all about energy systems, dude. That's where a lot of my education is based in, in energy systems from the whole spectrum, from that super short, like 10 second, 20 second, a lactic work all the way to the far end of the aerobic spectrum to 20 plus minutes of like steady state, you know, breathing focused type work. And then all the stuff in between, whether it's, you know, four minutes on three minutes off for a few rounds or you know, eight minutes on four minutes off, or even as the anaerobic intervals become more aerobic. So instead of, you know, 10 or 20 seconds of work with three or four minutes of rest, taking it to like about 90 seconds of work with, four minutes of rest and then a minute 20 of work or uh, 120 seconds of work with four to five minutes of rest. And, you know, as you progress through these energy systems, you can actually see how your body is adapting to the different stimulus. I love that, dude. I think that's honestly one of the biggest keys of bridging that gap between aesthetics and performance. Um, Something I have, uh, I've put, I think it's going to resonate with you. I've posted about multiple times is movements versus muscles in in school, when I was learning, like one of the things they beat into our heads was just like when you program, think of push, pull, hip dominant, knee dominant, and then do something totally. for your core. And that like rang. And if we want to add to that, you can add unilateral or like carry or drag a sled, you know, things like that. But how, like, how do you explain this to people when you're going through your program? Like you said, you have a push pull day, you have a lower body day, stuff like that, versus a back day or a chest day and things like that. <laughs> yeah. I think that the, the body part orientation or body part split versus movement orientation is, is super key in, in just smart programming. Like I, I don't want to program a chest day for you. We're going to call it horizontal push day because we also need a vertical push day. And you know, there's different ways you can pair this stuff up. My favorite way is to put horizontal push-pull together and to put vertical push-pull together, um, primarily because, and I'm sure you found this too, but man, people just don't do enough scap retraction work in their training, yeah. ever. Like ever. If, if you have a back day, then you're essentially doing all your rowing and your vertical pulling on the same day. Yeah. That's crazy. You should be doing like, you need to have two scap retraction days in there. If you're going to try and counteract all the shoulder rounding that occurs via upper body pushing. Well, and I, I very rarely program this way, but like I have a physique guy right now and, and he's on a push pull legs split and on his push day, he's like, why am I working my upper back a bunch before, like at the beginning of push day? Like I thought it was push day and I'm like, it is, but <laughs> you have to pull twice as much as you push. I don't care if it's just simple face pulls or pull aparts or whatever you want to do, but we have to work that upper back and the lats and everything. Yeah. I mean, a hundred percent plus warming up those areas just makes you more effective at upper body pushing. Yeah. Um, but yeah, dude, I'm dude, we're speaking the same language on all this stuff. Like it really actually bothers me at the lack of horizontal pulling that's involved in people's programs in general, like across the board. And I tell people all the time in my gym, I'm like, you should be be able to bent over row a similar number to what you bench press. And there are maybe five guys in my whole gym that can even come close to doing that. It's tough, dude. And you know what's funny is like that's – so right now I do – because I, again, same language, but I do the same thing with my metric-based movements. And one of mine is the pendulum row. 
And I track my progress and I work on that because it's the same thing. I want a heavy bent over row. Yeah, dude, that's where it's at, man. If you can pen lay row the same that you're bench pressing rep for rep, then you're going to save your shoulder health for years to come. Uh, and I think like speaking of CrossFit, if like, I think that's one of their biggest missing links in programming is there's the lack of horizontal rowing is just insane. I've been saying that for years, man. That's probably one of the biggest reasons why I started to kind of divert away from it because the only horizontal pulling that's ever programmed in it ever is a ring row. And it's usually used as a scale for a pull-up. Yep. Yep. I think that, um, the biggest problem there is that CrossFit thrives on metric based movement to define to the movement to ensure reps. And I personally still haven't really found a way to put metrics to horizontal pulling. I mean, to be able to say like, you know, you're keeping perfect form or you're not keeping perfect form. Like at what point does your chest jump up three inches and it's not a rep versus your chest jumps up one inch and it's still a good rep or something like that, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Man. Well, I, it's, it's winding down on that hour. I don't want to take too much of your time. I, I really appreciate you come coming on and spitting knowledge, dude. I think we speak such a similar language, which is really why like I wanted to reach out and get you on the show because I saw what you were doing in the space you were doing it in. And I just respected the hell out of it. But before I do let you go. I have a personality question for you. And I always do this before I let people jump off the show. So here is your, here's your situation. You have a dinner table. You can have whatever you want to eat and you have three empty chairs with you. Those people at your dinner table can be anyone alive or dead, but they cannot be friends or family. Who's sitting at this dinner table with you? God, what a tough question, man. You should have given me a heads up. Um, (laughs) All right. All right. All right. Let me think. Hold on. Got to have Michael Jordan there. Love it. Um, without knowing him as well as you do, I think I want Christian Thibodeau there just because I've been following him for 15 years and I love his stuff. And, uh, man, who's number three? Got to put some thought in here. Hmm. I got Michael Jordan, Christian Thibodeau. And, uh, oh man, let's throw, uh, do you know who John McCollum is? I don't. He wrote a book called keys to progress. Um, it was a result of a bunch of magazine excerpts from the old strength and health magazines in like the fifties and sixties. So he compiled these excerpts that he wrote and created a book called the keys to progress and uh that was like my bible when i first started training in high school so he's passed now but i would put john mccollum at my table as well dude i gotta check that out because i love old school bodybuilding old school training and looking at all that stuff man yeah you definitely should it's a good book um i have a copy so maybe when you're down here in san diego i can lend it to you absolutely dude great table man and once again thank you for coming on the show where where can everybody uh find all of your stuff i know you have like an app or a a membership thing out right now you got a lot of content going out your gym where can everybody find stuff totally so um i offer a online daily uh workout program it's 29 dollars a month and it's at evolvedtrainingsystems.com that's my website so you can get the daily program there you can also inquire about online one-on-one coaching with me if that's something you're interested in as well um i'm on instagram at brian borstein and uh, my gym is san diego athletics you can find that at san diego athletics.com and uh that's pretty much it that's where i live i uh really appreciate you having me man it's super cool All right, guys, that is a wrap. I hope you enjoyed the show today. A couple quick announcements before I let you go. First and foremost, I just want to encourage you to check out the products I have in the description. First one is the Nutrition Hierarchy. This is a very cheap guide to literally mastering your diet. That's why it's called the All-Inclusive Guide 
to mastering your diet. It's going to teach you exactly what and how to manage your calories, your macros, your meal timing, your supplements, your micronutrients, literally everything you need to know about dieting and nutrition and how to change your body composition through nutrition is included in this book. Not just to get your results, but to actually teach you how to get those results along the way. The next thing is going to be functional muscle, which is my first and right now my biggest product out there. This is the program that is based on years and years and years of functional training with tons of clients. So whether your goal is strength, fat loss, or muscle gain, you should be strength training towards these goals while prioritizing functional movement patterns to make sure that you are avoiding any injuries along the way. That's exactly what this program does, and it's great because it guides you through the process, it changes throughout the process, and it gives you demonstrations and explanations about everything you're doing so you never get confused and you always have a solution. You also get access into the Boom Boom Performance Podcast Forum. That is the only way into the forum, and that's where you can ask me literally anything about anything, and I will help guide you through the process. Last thing I want to mention, guys, is if you could leave me a five-star rating and review, that would be fantastic because it literally is one of the biggest and best ways for me to grow in the iTunes charts. Oh, yeah, and real quick, if you're not subscribed, hit the damn subscribe button because I constantly bust out content for you guys, and I spent a lot of time and effort making sure that you guys can get better results for free by simply listening to this podcast. All right, guys, I'll catch you next time.